Uh, welcome to Two Brothers Review podcast, where uh, we talk about some of the movies that are coming out right now and give recommendations around uh, what we're seeing and watching. I'm Reed Turley, and I'm Ty Turley, and today we're going to be talking about The Post. Before we get into that, we wanted to give our recommendation for uh, historical fiction, and I'll go first this week. One movie that I really like that came out uh, in the last few years is Spotlight, uh, another newspaper story. I thought the way that it was uh, kind of structured and the characters and acting was very strong, and I just think the story is so compelling, the conviction they had. Uh, in pursuing their story in Spotlight. Did you know that this movie was written by the same person? I did not know that. It was it was helped in the writing process by the same guy. Oh, cool. How about you? What's your uh, recommendation for a genre movie? Well, I, I think my favorite historical fiction movie is Chariots of Fire. No? No repeats, bro. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess that was Hoosiers was your favorite sports movie. Exactly. Chariots of Fire was honorable mention, but good gosh. <laughs> um, no, so much good historical fiction, and I didn't think of one. Cool, I'm realizing right now. No, Chariots of Fire is a great one. You're just going to be in a lot of trouble when we talk about our favorite historical Olympic running movies. Because <laughs> I can't repeat. Yeah. <laughs> We're both going to have to say race. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go with, uh, I guess we could have also done Spielberg movie, but I'm going to go with Schindler's List for my favorite historical fiction film, um, which is also Spielberg, obviously. Uh, definitely, I feel like a seminal movie in my young childhood. Um, it, it was. It felt like a very important movie. You know, you could see that it was made to really impress the importance of history. And I think Spielberg is kind of making a career out of that now at this point. It feels like the main thing driving him for most of his films. Yeah, I think he likes to identify kind of brave people or people who kind of go against expectations and highlight their courage. And so I think, I mean, we'll talk, we'll see with the post, but... I think sort of to compare it to what's going on in our world today. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about The Post and kind of how you feel about the movie overall. Um, coming out of it, what were your sort of impressions? Uh, I liked it, and I, and I was glad I saw it, and uh, I felt like it was a very interesting, small, small but very interesting story. I think the I think it did feel very relevant for today, and I liked that. I felt like it was relevant without being over the top or pedantic. And I thought there were just a couple of really interesting interactions on a human level. The the main character, um, Graham, the the president of the of the Post uh, company, I thought was just in a really interesting dilemma and a really interesting person. And I think the film decided to portray her in a very interesting way. Um, I mean, she felt very kind of sheltered and, you know, sort of, or I guess not sort of very low confident initially. I mean that the meeting that she goes to early on where she has all the talking points ready, but then 
um, isn't able to deliver them, and um, it's your sort of transition in this period of having to make these decisions. I thought the movie spoke to, I guess, kind of two sort of larger pr- principles for what's going on in our world today. One, I mean, definitely very overtly was the, um, you know, freedom of press idea, making sure, you know, the political system and presidency can't shut down what the freedom of the press is able to print, um, which you know, I thought was, was told very well in an interesting way to associate that story from the from the 70s to today. Uh, but then I also think, kind of equally as represented in this movie, but maybe a little bit less overtly was, or maybe it was also very overtly, but um, just the idea of kind of empowering women and women in the workplace. The scene that keeps, or kind of stuck out to me, is uh, when she's talking about when her father passed away and he gave the post to her husband. And how she was so proud for her husband and thought that was totally normal. And just kind of that mindset that that was was pervasive at that time, you know, then she had to sort of overcome when she had to lead the post and be be the president of that company. And I, I just thought that kind of subtler delivery of the message was really effective. And I noticed it through the movie and, and, and really enjoyed it. Yeah. On your first point, I would say it's not just about showing how you can't have political interference of free speech in the press. It's also, I think, showing how people in the press are noble. Um, they're trying to do the right thing, and they're trying to print you know, things that are true. They're trying to get to the truth of government uh, issues, and in this case, but in general, just it defends the integrity of news operations and news companies. And I think that's very intentional today to try to um, combat the the rhetoric from the White House that there's fake news, obviously. Then, yeah, I think the women thing was definitely – I, I would say it was subservient to the other point, but uh, I think it was heavily and very clearly being portrayed that the perspective was that she could be viewed as an early feminist. But I think it was for that reason very interesting that um, she didn't – she comes out off like you said at the beginning of the movie unconfident i think she comes off almost stupid as if she's not smart at the beginning of the movie which i thought was an interesting choice because it, it kind of was for the first 30 minutes i, I had a little bit of distaste in my mouth because it made her look so dumb yeah just so incompetent with interactions and knowing what to do yeah i'm still not sure that I think it. If I if I could redo it, I would do, redo the beginning of the movie where she does seem more unconfident, but not, but not as uh, sort of out of her depth. But but maybe that's the point, and maybe that's what Spielberg really wanted. And she was so docile, kind of like she thought it was the right way to, like you mentioned. So maybe it was important to start with that extreme of a difference, so that by the time you got to the end, and she did the thing that all of her advisors was telling her, were telling her not to do it was that much more amazing and dramatic. Yeah, and I think um, it's it's nice to see kind of this, this caliber of, of actor, or all the actors, really. I thought they did a great job in this movie. And to have such a, a good cast together, where even, you know, I guess great, I think great actors like Bob Odenkirk and Matthew Reese are playing smaller roles in the film. And they just, it all just really contributes to, I feel like, the quality overall. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know, how do you how do you feel like um, the people in this movie did with kind of the the acting and scenes? So, you know, Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep. Yeah, I mean, I think they're great. I, they're they're good. I, I to me, they feel like kind of a. Uh, they're not going to be ever that interesting because they're kind of these known quantities and you know you know what you're getting and Tom Hanks I think is kind of a boring person or personality wise just the energy that he brings I don't really like a lot but uh, I, it's a very minor nitpicky thing I mean I know he's a good actor and I I felt very in it the whole time like I didn't feel like I was ever being um, pulled out of the out of the film by the bad acting or anything like that for sure. Yeah, I think it it felt uh, kind of yeah a little bit more lived in, you know, sort of rushed. I liked you know, movies like this where there's not kind of big set pieces or action. It's it's just about these different conversations that they set up. And I thought, you know, in, in the ones that Tom Hanks had, you know, in his office with his employees, or contrasting that with at home with his wife. Yeah, I thought he kind of was able to perform those different interactions and. In a way that I thought was believable, yeah. So I, I think he did a, a good job in this movie. Um, I thought Meryl Streep was really good. I thought I enjoyed watching her. It's hard to separate for me sometimes the role and the acting, where I don't always think the role is that interesting or that good. But that's not. And it's not, it's not really the actor's fault for how they chose to do it, like we talked about. Yeah, I love seeing Allison Brie in there. Yeah. Uh, she's uh, she didn't get to do much in this film, but. She just makes me happy. She seems like a really uh, positive person, I guess, I'd say. Definitely. And, I mean, yeah, I, I had even forgot about Alison Brie, but just I think actors must want to do this kind of work where it's, you know, dialogue-driven drama. And working with Steven Spielberg is probably a huge plus. Oh, yeah. She said it was, I read about her afterwards, and... She said it was the best half an hour of her life when she got the call from Steven Spielberg. Or she got the call from someone saying she got the part, and then a half an hour later, Steven Spielberg called. Probably made her husband feel great. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Do you know who her husband is? Dave Franco, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tracy Letts is in this one. I thought he was really good. Do you know who that is? I don't. What role is he? He's the one who was always kind of... He's the CEO, technically, but I don't know if I could have told that from watching it. But he's the one who's um, who's always very much affirming of Mar- of Mrs. Graham. So he's always like, we need to listen to her. It's her choice. Oh, I would have guessed he was like an assistant to her. But I thought he was great. I thought he... Yeah, I loved him. Did a great job, yeah. And he's he's the dad in Lady Bird. What? Blow and reads mind. <laughs> Blow and reads mind right now. Well, he... Looks different. That's crazy. <laughs> and he's also a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. He writes, uh, he basically writes a new play every year that Steppenwolf in Chicago does. Wow. So I, he's, and he's he's great. I mean, I love, I'm a big fan of his. I don't know any of that. That's really cool. Uh, I guess, did you think the movie was kind of paced, uh, shot well? Did you like kind of the, the flow of of the movie? Yeah, um, I don't remember again. I, it didn't strike me as it's. It felt very uh, kind of Hollywood formulaic. Nothing too experimental or interesting, but but yeah, I, I thought it was well done, and I thought the sets were great. The houses, I love seeing those houses, and just kind of that window into the the intelligentsia, Washington D.C. in the nineteen 
seventies. Um, yeah. Do you feel like Steven Spielberg has a style that you can like distinctly recognize? If you if you if you didn't know this was a Steven Spielberg movie, would you have I don't know noticed something that would tip you off to that? Hmm, that's a good question. I feel like I should be able to tell, but I don't. Nothing comes to mind. I don't really know what that would be. Yeah, he has such an interesting career where he does these. I guess not small yeah smaller movies and then we'll make a huge kind of blockbuster action-y movie and I guess it's, I mean, it's nice that he gets to kind of pick the projects he wants to work on and kind of can make yeah. can get anything made at this point I think I read that uh, he's gonna make a, probably the next film he's gonna work on is a remake of Indiana Jones oh a cool. reboot cool I mean did you hear the story of the the timeline of the post do you know that yeah, mm-hmm. I read about that. Uh, yeah, I think that's just so amazing that he was editing Ready Player One and decided, or re- yeah, saw a script he liked and was like, I can make this. <laughs> Got people, filmed it in six or six or eight weeks, and, and yeah, less than nine months from him reading the script to it being on screen. I think it's very impressive. Yeah, it is. it's an amazing timeline. That I was reading about the script. That's what I Googled afterwards. Um, so the, there's a woman, I think her name is Liz Hanna who wrote it and it was on the, there's something called the blacklist, which is the list of the best screenplays that are, that have been passed around in Hollywood that haven't been produced every year. So it was on the 2016 blacklist. I think her first name is Kathleen Kennedy decided, read it on a Friday afternoon and had bought it by midnight that day and called the writer that night and said I bought your script we love it and then I don't know exactly how Steven Spielberg got that attached to it then but it was really quick and oh and then they, but they, they did it was this writer Liz Hanna it was her first script ever which is also amazing uh, first full length uh, feature film script and so they brought in the guy who wrote who got the Oscar for Spotlight and he helped her um, craft it a little bit more and then yeah it was like so basically it was written in October 2016 and in theaters by December 2017. That's insane. Yeah. In my mind, movies just take two years, but that might be if if they need a lot of CGI and stuff. And if you're not able to do well, this, you, this kind of movie. Well, you can have scripts that you sell that sit for five years or, you know. But I think, yeah, I mean, obviously everyone probably knows this that's listening to this podcast, but Steven Spielberg just wanted to get it out right away because he wanted to combat the narrative that Trump's putting out there about uh, not trusting the news source and how he was denigrating that profession. Yeah. Do you have any other likes or dislikes for the movie you want to make sure we cover? No, that's it. Uh, I would share one that I thought was so uh, interesting. I, I... I guess I think they use the audio from actual uh, President Nixon recordings and didn't really, you know, ever really use the face of Nixon, but sort of just showed the video from outside the White House, like in in through a window of the president on the phone with um, Kissinger or different different people. I thought that was an interesting style to use the actual... To use the actual uh, audio recordings of the president of President Nixon in the movie. Yeah, did you look it up or did you check? That's true. I thought that was probably true too, but I didn't check. Oh, um, no, I did not check. This is unverified. <laughs> okay, but if I, that's, I mean, why would 
I guess why would they not have had an actor play that if that's not what they were going to do? But you think potentially they just had an, a voice actor recreate the Nixon tape dialogue? Yeah. Potentially. Yeah, I think that's possible. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I No, I, I mean, I, I also suspected what you did, but who knows? Yeah, I guess. No, not sure. But yeah, I thought it was also interesting. I liked that. I liked the, those shots from outside the White House. Kind of gave it a creepy uh, Watergate-esque feeling. Yeah. Okay, uh, wait, sorry. I have one more question for you. How do you feel about the last scene being the like security guard finding the people breaking into the Watergate hotel, like a little too cutesy. No, I think it's good. It's like showing that this precipitated that it, you know, it's all a chain. Hmm. I think, I think it makes sense. Do you think in two years, Spielberg will come back and do a Watergate story with the same actors? (laughs) No, I don't think so, but maybe we'll see what Trump does. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think, but I think, I think in his mind, it was very important to show that um, that this event, where the Washington Post made this choice, led to them having this very deep commitment to the truth and to good reporting, and so then that led to them putting the being being willing to assign the reporting staff necessary to get the Watergate story done. Yeah, so it just sort of flowed together. Let's move on to our uh, rankings for The Post. This movie for me was a four. Uh, I liked the storytelling, the kind of acting, especially a lot of the supporting roles I thought was very strong. Uh, And I thought it was, yeah, interesting to see that kind of inner workings of a newspaper. I I like that kind of experience in a movie theater. Okay, great. And I also give this one a four. I really liked it. Uh, I'm glad it was made. I I think it's an impressive, important story. Right, before we leave, let's hit a um, recommendation for something you've been watching, reading, or listening to. Okay, I'll go. Uh, this Steven Spielberg movie got me thinking about Mark Rylance, who's in a lot of his films. And I saw Mark Rylance in a Broadway play called Farinelli and the King, which... Uh, was amazing it was it was great it was one of my favorite uh well i i wouldn't say the play itself is my favorite but the acting was great it was amazing to see uh him and uh it was yeah i just sat there kind of mesmerized by how how he made very subtle choices that um kind of kept the kept the audience being brought along with him and it felt like he could make us laugh whenever he wanted to and felt very effortless it was great I think it's great that uh, these you know big actors will take take time and do these theatrical productions, which are uh, I'm sure a big commitment for them to do. That's awesome. You get to you got to see them. Yeah, it's no it's no joke to. I mean, I think making movie compared to making movies, I think Broadway plays are incredibly physically hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my recommendation um, Spielberg related. I know he has the movie Ready Player One coming out, but uh, over the holiday break, I read the book Ready Player One, uh, and I thought it was um, kind of an interesting, nostalgic look at kind of a culture that I uh, maybe was just like a little bit adjacent to, but uh, I think very much like 80s gaming culture, so a little bit before my time, but still kind of that nostalgia for 
yeah, kind of that early video game and interactive gaming culture uh, plays a big part in the in the the book Ready Player One. Based on the trailers for the movie, I'm not sure how well it's going to stick to the book, but uh, I'll be interested to see the movie as well. Oh, you're a book snob. Sometimes. <laughs> were you a part of the? Eight, I mean, you said no, you're adjacent to it, but but does I mean were you are you were you ever into gaming? I liked video games. I mean, we had a we had a Nintendo sixty four, and I liked going to friends' houses and playing their Super Nintendo Mario. The gaming in Ready Player Four is a little bit more like uh, Dungeons and Dragon fantasy style, which is definitely you know, not something I'd ever ever really done or been a part of. Yeah. I don't know. Why do you think Steven Spielberg decided to direct that movie? Oh, because he realizes the f- that the f- future of our media landscape is going to be online, socially connected gaming environments that are not real, virtual reality. So he's interested um, in the kind of social impact of these changes. Yeah. I mean, he definitely has like a, a flair for the f- fantasy storytelling too, right? Like... Oh, definitely lo- through his movies. Lo- but I think, yeah, it's combining that with what is what most people would recognize as the f- kind of a prediction of the future that's not terribly awful. It's it, it's a good prediction of what of of a future that could be awful, I guess. Okay, I mean, we haven't seen Ready Player One, obviously, but do you think? But bes- bes- I guess in my mind, between the post and Ready Player One, which or I guess what's the last sort of fantastical movie Steven Spielberg directed the BFG yeah the BFG do you think like well I guess between the post or like another Steven Spielberg movie the BFG do you think one of those could have been as good with a different director I guess like what makes like why Steven Spielberg I guess I don't I mean I'm not sure I can give the best answer to that but I think most people would say Steven Spielberg is one of the best or maybe the best ever storyteller. And what that means to me is he knows how to pace a story. He knows how to give you the the right information at the right time so that there's enough interest but also uncertainty to pull you along to where you just want to see the next thing revealed. And then he knows how to reveal the next thing in the right way and at the right time in such a way that again it opens up another question so it just keeps pulling you through the story i mean i think my understanding is uh steven spielberg is really good at that i think that's true from the movies i've seen but it's kind of a yeah it's a little bit of an abstract thing i think that's what makes a great filmmaker more than you know the colors on the screen are they beautiful or or the acting even really that's the that's the thing that gets people noticed and and um, gives them gets them opportunities to direct films, and I've heard people say Steven Spielberg is the greatest director of all time. There's a documentary that just came out about him about two months ago, I think, that I wanted to watch. I didn't know that. Yeah, about his life. It'd be good to watch. Okay. All right. Cool. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, I'm Reed Turley, and I'm Ty Turley. It's been two and brothers we're... review the podcast. See you later. See you later.